Good morning. And it's good that you can be at the Central Church of the Nazarene. We've been in a sermon series called, called Get Off Your Seat. And really, it's a series based on the story of the, the Good Samaritan. Well, we're going to continue that on with another very valuable, important life lesson today. And that is success is doing what you can with what you have where you are. Now, according to, to Jesus' story, the Samaritan in the story, of course, we already know he's the hero. The priest isn't the hero. The Levite isn't the hero. Certainly the victim is not the hero. Maybe the innkeeper is a little bit of a hero because he helped him as well. But no, it's the Samaritan. The Samaritan is, is the hero. Whenever you're the hero in one of Jesus' stories, you can be sure that you, you are a success. Well, what made him a success? He was doing, he, he was doing what he could with what he had where he was. So let me ask you, what about you? Are you doing what you can with what you have, where you are, to make a difference? Successful people understand that. Successful people figure that out. They don't worry about what other people are thinking. I don't know if, if the Samaritan saw the priest and the Levite walk on by. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know if the, the, the priest and the Levite had the supplies that the Samaritan had, you know, the wine, the oil, the, the bandages, the donkey. Maybe he did, maybe they didn't. Jesus certainly implies that they could have helped, they could have been a neighbor, but they chose not to. But the Samaritan, the hero, not grumbling, just doing, not worrying about really his own safety and security, not worrying about his supply line, just helped, helped, helped where he was, did what he could, with what he had to make a difference. So what about you? Are, you? are you doing the same thing? Are you using the resources that God has given you to be a blessing? Not complaining, not, not grumbling about how people aren't using their resources, not looking at others. Are you using your time, your treasure, your talents for God's glory? See, God simply needs you to be faithful. He doesn't, he doesn't need you to, to do something that others are doing. He needs you to be faithful where you are with what you have to make a difference. My guess is this next biblical hero that I'm going to mention, you may not recall. In fact, don't, don't beat yourself up for not recalling this person's name. In fact, I don't believe I've ever uh, referred to him by name in a sermon before ever in my life. I usually do a search of past sermons to see if I've ever talked about this person. That I've never, ever, 30 years of pastoring, I've never talked about this guy. So if you don't know his name, if you don't recall him, then, then that's all right. But here, put your thinking cap on. Here's the name, Old Testament hero. See if you recognize it. Have any of you ever heard of the guy in the Bible named Shamgar? Do you know him, Shamgar? Can you point it out? Do you know Shamgar? Gary, do you know Shamgar? Not ShamWow. You remember ShamWow. This is ShamWow. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. It's like a chamois. It's like a towel. It's like a sponge. A regular towel doesn't work wet. This works wet or dry. This is for the house, the car, the boat, the RV. ShamWow holds 20 times its weight in liquid. Look at this. It just does the work. Why do you want to work twice as hard? That is not who we're talking about. Not ShamWow. Shamgar. But Shamgar, like ShamWow cleans up some messes. He, he's only mentioned in two verses in the entire Bible. And one verse really isn't referencing him, it's referencing the time in which he lived, the days of Shamgar. 
No, the only real verse that speaks of what he did is in Judges 3, verse 31, that says this. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. So I'd say that's a pretty remarkable feat. That's cleaning up a mess, if you, if you will. Remember, uh, successful people are doing what you can with what you have where you are. So Shamgar did what he could. He defeated 600 Philistines single-handedly, saved Israel, big deal. And with what he had, what he had, he had an ox goad. Do you know what an ox goad an ox goad? If you're trying to make a, a weapon of, if you're listing all the weapons of war, an ox goad probably won't make the list. You know, it's a, it probably Shamgar was a farmer. An ox goat is the thing that you tap, you know, on the, on the oxen as they're plowing the fields. Come on, come on, blue, get going, get going. That's what an ox goat is. So imagine what Shamgar could have done if he had a sword or a spear or a bow and arrow or an Uzi or something. You know, but with six, he, had, he defeated 600 Philistines and all he had, all he had was an ox goat. Success, doing what you can with what you have where you are. Think, you may think, well, I don't have much. All Shamgar had was an ox code. You might think, well, other people have, have much more, 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 more things than what I have. The successful aren't those that worry about any of those things. They, are, they, they, they take what they have, what they have, where they are, and make a difference for God. God blesses people who use what they have for his glory. And Jesus teaches this lesson over and over again. It's not just the Good Samaritan story, but obviously the Good Samaritan, the hero of this story, he does that. Where he is, he's on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. What does he have? Well, he has some oil and some wine and some bandages. He has a donkey, he has a little bit of money. He gives it to the innkeeper, he takes care of him, he promises even more money. So, so Jesus in this story is illustrating that. But Jesus in some of other stories tells us kind of the flip side the opposite of, of what to do. The good Samaritan, he used what he had where he was to make a difference. Jesus tells some other stories where some people failed to do that. And I want to look at one of those stories. And that's told in, in Luke 16. It's another one of Jesus' parables. And we want to kind of compare these two because Luke 16's story is what you don't do. If the good Samaritan is what you do do, the Luke 16 story is what you don't do. And really, it's a story about how do we use our things, because that's what we're talking about if you boil it down this morning. The good Samaritan used his things, oil, wine, bandages, donkey, money, used those things for God's glory. The guy in Luke 16's story, the parable of the shrewd manager, does not. And so the question that we're going to be asking is, what am I doing with the things that God has provided for me? All right, Luke 16, a different story. Let me begin reading. It's in verse one. Jesus told his disciples, and let me stop right there just to remind you, this is different from the Good Samaritan story. The Good Samaritan story, Jesus was talking to this lawyer who, who posed the question to Jesus. He was, he was kind of an antagonist to Jesus. He was not, uh, a, certainly not part of Jesus' inner circle like the disciples. So here, this story is directed to his disciples, not to the Pharisees or the general population. So Jesus tells his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. All right, right off the bat, you know that he's different from the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan used his possessions wisely. Well, God was blessed. This guy wasted his possessions. So he called him in, the owner of the rich man called him in and said, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Now there are two big things 
that we get off right off the bat from these first couple verses. And the first big thing that you really need to understand, in fact, this is the biggest thing of the whole sermon, really. God is the owner, we're the managers. I am accountable to God for the, for the things in my life. I'm accountable for God for everything that, 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 that I have today is from God. Does that make sense? Last Sunday, we, we mentioned, we read this verse last Sunday from James chapter one that says every good and perfect gift is coming, comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Remember that? Well, everything that I have, everything, everything, everything. He's the owner, I'm the manager. Every single possession that I have, it's because he allowed me to have it. God is the owner. That's, that's issue number one. And if we don't get that figured out, then we're gonna have trouble with the rest of this sermon, really. Because <laughs> God is the owner. He, he is the giver of every good and perfect thing that you've ever had. And when we don't get that right, when we don't have that figured out, there will always be conflict about our possessions and our things and the stuff that we've acquired. See, listen, if I believe that, that, that Rob Prince is the owner, that I'm the owner, then, then me and God are always gonna be at odds on what I'm gonna do with my stuff. But when I realize that I'm not the owner, I'm the manager, and God is the owner, then some of those other things, the conflict begins to disappear because I know that everything I have, my life, my health, my, my, my possessions, my family, my, my future, that's all, that all, that's all on God. Everything, everything, everything in my life, God owns. I manage, God owns. Now let me give you a little quiz to see if you understand what we're talking about today. Let's say you made $500 last week. So you come to church this morning and, and you're here and you're figuring out, all right, what do I owe God out of this $500? Well, a tithe is $50, 10% of $500, $50. So God gets $50 and I get $450. God has 50, I have 450. Is that right? That's how the tithing concept works. Is that right, pastor? No, that's, that's, that's wrong. If you made $500 last week, then, then $500 is God's. That's not, that's, not saying, that's not saying that God wants your $500. God knows you have bills to pay. He knows that you, you, know, you gotta eat, you gotta live someplace, you gotta you know, pay for all the, these things that come along. God's not, God doesn't want your $500, but God is the reason you have that $500. Does that make sense? Because of the, 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 the skills he has given you, the, the, the blessing he has given you to give you the job that you have, that you can take care of your family, all those things, those are all from God. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father of heavenly lights. So if I make $500, $500, because God's the owner, I'm the manager, $500 is God's. He's the owner, I'm the manager. And when we get that messed up, that's when we get in trouble. The second big truth from this, not only is that God owns it all, but the second big truth, and, and, and you see it in the, when we think we own it all, then there's always an internal conflict. You don't see that in the, in the Good Samaritan story. You don't see the Good Samaritan going, oh my goodness, you know, here's this guy, and if I give him, if I pour some oil and wine on his injuries, then I won't, have, what if I get injured? And, and if I have to give some money to this innkeeper and the wear and tear on my old donkey, you know, I don't know, he's a big guy, I don't know if he could take it. If he start, you don't see any of that. All you see is there's a problem, there's a guy hurting, there's, there's a good Samaritan who, who takes care of it. I think he understood that God is the owner, he's the manager. That's, that's the first lesson we gotta learn. God owns it all. 
But the second big lesson from these just first couple of verses, not only is God the owner, we're the managers, but God has expectations on the managers. In other words, the, man, the master comes in that story in Luke 16, and he wants to know what's been done with his resources. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions, so he called him in, asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give me an account. I believe God's gonna give us, we're all gonna be called one day to give an account for the way we spent our life, the way we use the gifts and abilities, the way we, we use the resources that God has provided. And I think there's, there's really a, a biblical five expectations that God has from we, the managers. First and foremost, God ex- has expectations on what we do with ourselves. Romans 12.1 says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your first act of spiritual worship. So God has an expectation that we are going to give ourselves first over to him. That's where it begins. That's expectation number one. God also has expectations on, on, on how we're going to do and what we're going to, to, to do with the, 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 the resources, our possessions that he has given us. Now, one time in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples of what it means to be a follower. And Jesus says this, if any of you does not give up everything he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that's a lot. None of us have done that. You know, I still, I drove a car to get here. You did too. I have clothes on. <laughs> Thankfully, you do too. We haven't given up everything. God, Jesus doesn't want everything. That's not the point. But the, the, the point that Jesus is making is what controls you. Your stuff or God Almighty? The owner or are you taking on the owner's role instead of the manager's role? So God has expectations of giving ourselves over to him. God has expectations on what we do with our possessions. God has expectations on, on what, how we spend our time. In Ephesians chapter five, it says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Making the most of every opportunity, how you spend in your time. God has expectations about that. God also has expectations in how we use the gifts and abilities. In 1 Peter, Peter tells us God has given each of us special abilities. I, we need to read that again. God has given each of us special abilities. Don't come to me and say, Pastor, I don't have any talents. I don't have any gifts. I don't have any, anything. No, that verse clearly says God has given each of you special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other, passing on to other God's many kinds of blessings. God has expectations on what we will do with the blessings that he has given. And finally, God has expectations on what we're gonna do with the gospel itself. How we handle the good news, how we handle the news that Jesus Christ came to this world and died for our sins. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. We, God has expectations that we're not just going to sit on this story that Jesus came to the world and died for all of our sins, that we are to, 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 to use that and tell that good news to others. So God has expectations on what we're going to do. Now, go back to the story, Luke 16. Again, we're told that guy didn't handle his possessions very well. He was very unwise. The master calls him in. I need an account. And the moment that unwise manager realized that he was in trouble, that he's going to lose his job, this is what he says in verse 3. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? 
My master has taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. This guy's figured out all of a sudden he's got a problem. He's, he's in real trouble. He, he hasn't been handling his, his possessions well. He's been a lousy manager, but he says, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do? One of the times that people make changes in their life is when they hurt so badly that they have no other options, but they've got to make a change. That's when people will make a change. They'll try not to make a change until they absolutely, absolutely have to. And that's where this guy is. He's losing his job. He's gotten the pink slip. So he says, I got to make some changes. I got to do some things differently. I'm in trouble. I've lost my job. I'm going to be fired. What what in the world am I going to do? So he makes a quick assessment of his situation. And verse four tells us what he does. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it into 400. Then he asked the second, how much uh, uh, do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800. I want you to notice when the owner came, gives this guy the pink slip. Says, you know, you're done. He also gave him time to settle the accounts. So this guy goes to people. One guy, he cuts his bill right in half. The other guy, he cuts 200 bushels of wheat off of the bill. Now, now maybe he was just knocking it off because, because that was the interest, or maybe he was knocking it off because uh, uh, he, he was, had overcharged them, and so he was trying to make things right before he left, or maybe, maybe we're already told he's a bad businessman. So maybe he didn't know what these people owed, and so instead of causing a big stink, just cut it, cut it, cut it. Oh, that, that's, you know, who knows? All we do know is that he was slashing their bills. And the Lord tells us that even though he was an unwise steward, unwise because he did not use the talents and the abilities that God had given him, there are some lessons that we can learn, especially as we put it up against the Good Samaritan story. And the first big lesson we can learn from this guy is that you and I, really it's a lesson we learned last week, you and I are to use our opportunities wisely. So we taught last week. God strategically has placed us at the right place, the right time to make a difference, but often the right, the right place seems like the wrong place and the right time seems like the wrong time. Look what happens in this story. In verse eight, the, the owner commends, praises this dishonest manager. What in the world does he have to praise him about? Not about his business capabilities, that's for sure. No, he's a bum. And we already know that he did a bad job, so he's not praising him for that. No, he praised him for looking out, for making the most of his opportunity. That's the point of Jesus' story here. Verse eight, it says this, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal blessings. He was was commended not for being dishonest, not for wasting the possessions. We're already told that's what brought him in trouble in the first place. He's commended for the fact that when he realized there was a problem, he immediately took action to fix that problem. That's the whole point of Jesus' story there. Now, how is this important for today? It's important because there's some folks today, maybe some in here, that say, you know what, Pastor? I, we're talking about stewardship really today, how I'm using my things, how I'm using the, the blessings that God has given me, and quite honestly, I've done pretty lousy at that. You know, I've never really tithed. Oh, I'll, I'll put some money in every now and then, but I've never really tithed. And I, and I can't really say that I've used my talents and abilities for God's glory. I've used them for my glory. I've used them to get ahead in this world. world. 
but I haven't really given God my time and I really haven't given God my, my energies all that much. I haven't been all that, all that. I've been more like the priest and the Levite if you want to know the truth. I've, I've kind of walked by problems rather than, than trying to be used by God in the middle of those problems. Well, if that's you, there's good news. Because just like the owner in this story, God gives us the opportunity to get our account straightened out. It's not too late. That's the point. It's not too late. I heard a little poem that speaks to that point. It says this, though I cannot go back and make a whole new start, my friend, anyone can start from now and make a brand new end. And how true that is. It's not too late. You can't change your yesterday, but you can certainly change your tomorrow. The good Samaritan had the opportunity. Make a difference, and that's what he did. Priest and the Levite, they walked by. They, they blew it. I wonder if they ever had second thoughts. Did they get to their final destination and the priest and the Levite say, oh my goodness, you know, I walked right on by that guy. I should have helped him out. I wonder what happened to that guy. I'll go back tomorrow. I'll go back to Jerusalem tomorrow and I'll see if he's still there. And if he's there tomorrow, then I'll help him. Of course, we know that didn't happen because for the victim... Plan A was probably the priest, and plan B of God's was probably the Levite. But plan C, God always has a plan B, C, D, E, F to help people. Plan C was the Good Samaritan. So whether they went back or not, we don't, all we know is they blew it. They blew their opportunity. But I believe in God of grace, and I believe that God could remind them. And I believe if they were making that same trip another time, and they'd pass by a guy, that maybe the next time that priest and the Levite said, you know what, we blew it last time, but this time we're going to make a difference. There's always time. That's, that's the point. What's interesting in this story that Jesus tells, he says that the folks in the world are more time conscious than, than, than Christian folks are. Did you catch that? He's saying that, that they use opportunities more wisely than we. It's really the same lesson that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, you'll remember in chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but where thieves can, can, can break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart is. Jesus is saying in this parable in Luke 16, keep an eye on the eternal. You know, you conduct your life, recognize God's the owner, we're the manager, with an eye on the prize, with an eye on the eternal. Make sure you realize that there's more important than the things of this old earth, that we're gonna spend a whole lot more time in eternity than we are here on in this old earth. So keep your eye on the prize. It seems like the Good Samaritan did that. He wasn't worried about his time or his energy, his money. He just helped that guy. There was a victim, he helped him. Second thing we need to learn from this story is the Lord teaches in in parable 16 is is that trust, trust has to be earned. That's really what he's saying. Verse 10 and 11 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Jesus is talking about trusting us, and the question comes down to can he trust us? If you can't be faithful with a few things, why in the world would I give you more things? That's Jesus' point. Trust is earned. Now, salvation, that's a free gift. We don't earn that. We don't work for it. Salvation is a free gift. Again, what do we do to inherit eternal life? You don't do anything to, eternal, to, to get eternal life. That's a gift. But what we do is in response to that. And the question is, trust, trust, trust is earned. Does the Lord trust you? That's the big question. When I was a teenager, uh, my curfew was 11.30. And so I had to be in at 11.30 at night. That was just the curfew I had. And usually my folks were even lenient. Uh, But 11.30 was a curfew. 
And I remember I was probably in, I don't know what grade I was in, 10th grade, 11th grade. And I got home around midnight. And so, so I, my parents had already gone to bed. The house was all dark. I went to my room. My room was upstairs. Their room was on the first floor. I went up to my bed. No one said anything. No one said anything. I thought, man, this is all right. They must have went to sleep. They don't know it's 12 o'clock instead of 1130. Everything's good. I woke up the next morning. Mom and dad didn't say a word. You know, I thought I was expecting a little bit of chastisement. Came in late. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Woo. Sliding through. So that night, I was getting ready to go out with some friends again, walking out the door. And I said, all right, I'll see you around 1130. And my dad said, no, 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 no. That was last night's curfew. This night's curfew is 930. I said, what? He said, well, you proved you can't come in at 1130. Let's see if you can come in at 930. Now, I'll admit to you, at the time, I was not excited about the new curfew. But really, what my folks did was right. If you have a curfew, if you're a parent, you have a curfew, and you don't, you don't keep the curfew, you know, there's no rules behind the curfew, then you might as well not have a curfew. And so I proved that I wasn't trustworthy to be home at 11.30, but you can be sure that I was home at 9.30 that night. That's all my folks ever said about it. You know, they didn't harp on it. They didn't go on about it. Next weekend, I was back at 11.30. Everything was good. But I knew I needed to be home when the curfew was set. That was the lesson learned. I think sometimes God looks at us and says, can I trust you? Can I trust you with, with the things that I provided you? Trust is earned. And with God, the more that we, we show God that we're trustworthy, the more trust is given. The more that we show that we're not trustworthy, the, 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 the trust is pulled away. So I have a question, how much can God trust you with? How much can he trust me? What are the opportunities that God has placed in your way for you to make a difference? And, and are you proving to be trustworthy in those circumstances? And if we, are we faithful now, right now? Not down the road, right now. The last thing we can learn from this, really, from Luke 16 and then as we see it in the Good Samaritan, is we need to be totally devoted to God. That's the bottom line. The last thing that Jesus said on this matter in, in Luke 16 is this, no servant can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The question comes down to who you serve in today. The good Samaritan cared more about that victim than all those other things. How, is this, how much does this cost me? What is my time and energy? What am I gonna do? He was doing what he could with the resources that he had where he was. And so for that, we say that he's successful. Lord, we want to be your people wherever you've placed us. Help us to bloom where we're planted and to, and to let your light shine. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.